with a siren. Yo! Welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. And we're getting into some weird territory here with this release. It's uh, it's it's an interesting one. Jason, why don't you just go ahead and tell the people what we're going to talk about today on this episode. today? Today we're talking about Revelation Records number sixty-one, the Bluebird twelve-inch self-titled. Did I say that correctly? The Bluebird 12-inch. Self-titled 12-inch. Yeah, self-titled 12-inch. There you go, Greg. I'm going to say EP. Yeah, the EP. Yeah, EP, because uh, I think if it was like listed on the store or in the discography, I don't think that they would list it. Would they list it as 12-inch or would they list it as... I think it says... So so I was going to add... Kick it. our, Our friends at Rev HQ do have as of the recording of this episode there are copies available final copies um on rev hq i actually procured one myself um i think they have vinyl and cd i'm double checking as we speak using uh some dead air fillers so that i'm not just sitting here like a buffoon and they do and it is labeled as a 12 inch ep Uh. 14 bucks. What, uh, was it was it pressed on compact disc? Yes. When, and when it, it, it is a CD for six bucks. Okay. So if if uh, yeah, I'm hoping that people that listen and and hear uh, you know Brian and Sam talk about the release and the recording. If you want to check it out, this is one of those instances where it's not a repress, but it's still um available. So revhq.com, search Bluebird, and it's there. Um, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds yeah. on the on the intro, but I just want to say it was a cool conversation. And, you know, I, this band, you know, was a part of a whole different world than I think most of the records and bands we've talked about. And they were playing shows with some pretty wild acts so i think people will enjoy uh this list for sure well i think before like you say before we get too deep into the conversation i think we need to uh bid it bow to this episode sponsor siren records uh independently owned record store um out here in uh suburban philadelphia a place called doylestown home of Pink, you guys know Pink, right? Yeah, oh Justin yeah. Justin Guarini, runner up on the first season of American Idol. He's also in the Diet Dr Pepper commercials. A little sweet. Um, gosh, who else is from Doylestown? There's a lot of people from Doylestown, but nice little town to visit for sure in Bucks County and the record store Siren. I've been going there for. I realized that this spring was 27 years. And someone just checked a box on where it went bingo. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Greg talking about how long he's been going to Siren. Yeah, that's a good good one. Um, There's And there's some bingo checked during this episode, too, from at least me, maybe more. But, um, yeah, like, I can still remember the first time I went, like, parents drove. Because you guys remember, like, used CDs were not something 
that uh, like you couldn't go to Tower Records and get a used CD, at least not around here. So I remember it blew my mind that like you could go to an independent record store that not only would have, you know, more stuff than just what you could get at the mall, but that you could trade in stuff. So as a young kid with not a lot of money, you know, it was great to be able to go to a place like Siren and trade in stuff and get credit and discover a bunch of new music um, in these pre-internet times. So am I, uh, am I also wrong in that? I see that there was just an acoustic performance at Siren records. No, that was the other spot, right? I'm going to edit this shit out. That was, at, uh, <laughs> that was at uh, Joe from hell minded store. I just yes. got, I got a little confused in my, in my, that's fine. Age. Yeah. What's, what's that store called? I'm sorry. Uh, out of step. That's right. A boutique. Yeah, I, a nice little store, but. Uh, okay. I'm going to go back to shutting up now. Yeah. Sorry. You can just, bit just of Boda, cut this part out. Bit of Boda, Joe Hellminded. <laughs> or don't. You don't have yeah, to. I'm not going Keep to. it in. I'm going I'm to yeah. let everyone know that I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, but you're, <laughs> you're from California. I'm not expecting you to know. Yeah. That's like people are like, oh yeah, you live close to San Diego and Los Angeles, right? And I'm like, no, it's like an hour and a half away from both of those. Fuck off. Right. So anyway, with Siren, um, if you can't make it in the store, sirenrecords.com. They have a website. They offer their Discogs is, I believe, free shipping over $10. So, I mean, basically, if you buy one record, you can get it shipped to you for free. Um, you're supporting a great store, great people. They carry a ton of Rev releases. So, like, whenever you see those, you know, when Revelation puts out something saying exclusive indie store vinyl, Siren's going to get it like hands down Blair will he's on top of all that stuff so bit of bow to them sirenrecords.com great nice I'm, I'm actually looking it up right now as we speak because so what 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 records did they put out because you told me that they put out the rain on the parade LP yes right? so, so they did the rain on the parade LP and then they also put out I don't remember too much more. Of I'm okay. actually on Discogs right now. So okay, because they, they did you. release a CD, oh, I believe, records. by a band called Midiron Blast Shaft. Okay. They went to my high school. They were kind of like trying to be like Hoover, like the DC kind of stuff. They're really good. They're fun live. And Reptilian ended up putting out their stuff after. And you you know Reptilian, uh, that they're from baltimore right Reptilian. correct yeah and they, right. they actually just reissued the easy action records that i'm eagerly awaiting because they were hard to find they they uh repressed the easy action stuff nice. um reptilian not siren but yeah they they did a few records they did the, the rain on the parade lp is the one probably the most known it was mostly on cd because in 2000 you know, they pressed some LPs. In fact, I don't know if it ever went past the test press. I'll have to ask. I feel like they okay. just had like some record release covers um, made. It, on Discogs, it says that the the um, label is called Siren Electric. Yes, that was uh, the label. Okay. Mid-Iron Blast Shaft, Honey Church, Rain on the Parade. Actually, four Honey Church records. Yes, which Honey Church, uh, the singer uh, Larissa, she used to work at Siren, oh, and they're you know good like kind of mellow indie type stuff. Is um, it uh, kind of like um, that dog? 
No, that dog's a lot more <laughs> poppy and has like a, a violin player and keyboards and stuff. Okay. Sorry to get it sidetracked. I just thought it was interesting that no, the, yeah, the I random mean, raid we're record. Talk, we're talking about Siren Records. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the rain on the parade, rain on the parade were awesome. I would love to do a bonus episode just on rain on the parade, but I know oh, dude, I, same. Uh, yeah, like that was a huge. They were huge for me for starting my first band because they were like for the living. I think for you, where it was like, I was like, okay, I can pl- I can like play these kind of songs on guitar. Like it was easy enough, and they were local. And oh, uh, Don yeah, Devore so. was in rain on the parade, huh? Yes, yeah, he's on the first seven inch. Yeah, that's cool. So anyway, I was a, I was a big uh, Ink and Dagger fan. Speaking of Pennsylvania hardcore, oh yeah, um, I uh, just am chiming in to say I don't have anyone to bid at bow today, unfortunately. So Jason, what do you got? Uh, I'm gonna bid at bow Jason Hamaker from Frodus. Uh, also did a long stint with Battery when I was going through Bluebird's Instagram. I saw they toured with Frodus. And I was uh, messaged him a few times. Then he just said, you know what? Let me just call you up real quick. And he told me a lot of cool stories about touring with Bluebirds, some of which we asked about, some of which I didn't. Um, couldn't get to all of them, but he did give us a cool tidbit that we asked uh, we asked Brian about. And you're going to have to sign up for the Patreon to hear what that conversation was about. But Ooh, I would Jason. say you were guaranteed. I would say chances are you're going to enjoy the conversation. It was cool. So a uh, bit about Jason Hammerker for letting me in on that. And to everyone that's signed up on the Patreon, we appreciate you. And actually speaking of Brian, I did want to uh, bit of Bo. He, uh, I mean, Bo, Sam as well, but Brian reached out. You'll hear in the episode, there's, he had some technical difficulties. Um, you, you may catch like sound wise. Um, and he, you know, apologize for that. But I actually said, I was like, I would love to talk to you for a Patreon episode because you'll hear, I mean, I I believe it'll be in the main episode. If not, then you'll hear it in the Patreon. But I mean, the guy played with Dick Dale. He does uh, composing, you know, for soundtracks and TV shows and stuff. Like it would be really fun, I think, to kind of, for me at least, to like dig dig deep, um, you know, to have somebody that's kind of in a whole other world. So that's all i got though well and speaking of uh bonus content and patrons um you know i i would be remiss if i did not tell everyone that you can get extra content by signing up for our patreon you go to www.wherewentpodcast.com check it out what i mean it's literally actually you could do it for less money per month than the cost of one latte i think that's a pretty good deal yeah Um, and i drink i well i you know i after going to mexico earlier this year i switched from drinking lattes to drinking americanos which are a little bit less money than lattes not gonna lie especially if you're vegan because sometimes they try to upcharge you a dollar which is erroneous so anyway patreon patrons Check it out, and then, I don't know, what do you say we just go ahead and kick it? Can I kick it? Kick it! Kick it!
it should work. It was chop. It was too chop. Yeah, it was. For, for, at yeah. first, I was like, "Is it me?" Because he's like, he was like given uh, no, some I think gold since he was yeah. in the car. No, I mean, it'll be fun to to uh, share with how him and I met because it is it does involve Nirvana. Oh, nice. So interesting. It also involves involves wool. It also involves kerosene four fifty four. He used to be when when to change. It's like it, it, there's like a whole thing to it. Um, so and, and yeah, but we didn't even, I, we didn't realize we we had forgotten that's how we had met. I don't even think I really remembered that even when we started Bluebird. Like it's yeah, but we were when this thing came up. We were like, oh, let's try to remember some stuff. And he was like, you remember what we met? I'm like, yeah, it was this. And he was like, nope, it was this. It was like, oh, whoa, um, which is fun, which I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people like have these memories that kind of come back to them in these conversations that I haven't thought oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah, for sure. We've had them happen where they discover it like on the Zoom, you know, like, yeah. be like wait, no, oh, okay, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, I would uh, I would imagine so once you start kicking open these doors, you know. Yeah. So how did you how did you three meet? Just um, you know what? I stalked Jason because I was a huge fan of his band to count me out. And I pun you. I punished him at Rev 25. Um I was friends, I've I've known Dave Mandel, of course, who put out the count me out record for years yeah. and and Dave Ito, yeah. yeah. I actually live like two miles from Dave Mandel's house right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're stalking him per present. <laughs> I, hey, anytime I want anything, I could just text him and be like, hey, this unbroken record that you put out, can I just pick it up and give you cash for it so I don't have to pay for shipping? And he's like, yeah, come over, whatever. So that's really nice. So that's and the then, motivation of moving close to it. Yeah, yeah. And I do that for Rev too, because I, you know, I'm like five miles from Rev. And so I could just drive over there and pick up a record and just grab the slipknot seven inch. Exactly. Yes. If they had it in press, I could, yeah. <laughs> and me and Greg met from the internet. And I used he lives outside, just outside of Philly in the suburbs. And I used to go to this is hardcore uh fest quite frequently. And so we would hang out over the summer mm -hmm. and then when lockdown started happening, Greg was like, hey, I have an idea for a podcast. Do you want to do it with me? And so he tapped me to be co-host. And then we tapped Jason to do the graphics. And then Sammy was like, what's up with this guy who's on the call who doesn't talk? No, it was, uh, it was, it was Jordan, Jordan of oh, all was? people, which was so funny. Well, a guy I mean, who doesn't talk. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we had been trying to get Jason to come on. We're like, dude, just come on you know because i think there was one interview where he or no i think we said like we would send him the interviews right after we did them for the first yeah. like five and then when we got to rev seven with jordan and ray we were like jason just sign in just put yourself on mute you can just yeah. listen so you can be there and then jordan kind of called him out and then he started talking and then he never left yeah sam i'm a, <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm a crazy introvert and it was hard for me to like talk to you know people that i look up to and it's you know i was nervous on top of being nervous but then it ends up it's fun as shit and i look forward to doing it every you know couple of weeks that we do it so and i'm i met jason because of count me out as well yeah because my band couple two different bands i think 
played with Count Me Out. And, do we need to do like a sub uh, episode just on Count Me Out? Uh, we Javier and I have wanted to. Yeah, some at some point. I get as I said though. I get I get nervous and nervous kind of self conscious about talking. Yeah, they call me nervous Nelly, but but he's also he's also been on a couple pods talking about count me out anyway so i don't know yeah. how much i don't know how much like uncharted territory we could really yeah so brian <laughs> you were you were talking about when we okay we, i was kind of cluing them in that you, you and i discovered a bunch of stuff in the brief kind of pre-conversations that we've had and right and one was like well do you remember we met and i was like yeah it was at the blah blah lodge you're like nope it was at to let you uh it, it was outside of, it was uh, Sunset Boulevard, 19, whenever that was, 91, summer, August. Uh, Nirvana was playing a show at the Roxy and they were filming their Teen Spirit video the next day. And I went down there with my roommate Juan uh, and we ran into a few other people. And then Sam can pick up. He had a conversation with Juan. I was kind of like uh, over, I overheard. But I remember a guy that had just like, was from Southern California, but had just, drove back down from school from up in Oregon to, to see the show. And then Sam can pick up from there. Yeah. So a couple of things about that are to add to it. So the summer of 91, I was in 91, I was going to, I, I grew up in Orange County and I'd moved to Eugene, Oregon to go to school at the university of Oregon. And I was, I, I, I the last day of school, I got in the car and I was driving home. There was two shows. Uh, I wanted to see one was Dinosaur Jr. I think My Bloody Valentine at the Palladium and uh, and one was Nirvana. Uh, I think they were playing like iguanas or something. And I was like, ah, and my car broke down and I had to stay in like Southern Oregon. So anyways, long story short, uh, I get back down to Orange County and then there's this, an this announcement that Nirvana is playing the Roxy with wool opening. Now, this is like before Nevermind. So like the world wasn't like flipping out over Nirvana. Um, and so I was like, oh, I got to go to that show and I, I won't have to worry about a ticket. I know the guys wool. Uh, you know, I, I, I booked the last few scream shows uh, before they broke up in Southern California. So I had a relationship with them and I had seen, uh, I had seen, you know, I'd seen, I think this wool had maybe come through Eugene at that point or maybe it was later, but anyway, so I rolled up there and it was like, show was sold out. It was like, okay, that's weird. And then secondly, I just didn't, see anybody from wool and i was like well if i see dave i i could get in and i didn't see dave so i was standing outside and somehow i started this conversation with this guy whose name is juan and he was like oh we're from arizona <clears throat> i moved here with some friends of mine we're living in altadena and they're at a band called Kerosene 644 i'm like never heard of you and they were like oh yeah they used to be this band when to change and i was like wait a second i saw when to change play time out of mind in 1988, which was just a couple years prior with No Front Answer and Hard Stance and Last Option. And so we started talking and this tall guy comes up, which was Jim Wall, the bass player. of John Wall. John Wall, sorry, his brother's Jim. And uh, he's like, hey, um, the bouncers, the guy at the door says, if we give him $5, if we slip him $5, he'll let us in the show. And I, and I was like, put my hands in my pocket. I'm like, I think I have a dollar. Cause I, for some reason I think my, I didn't bring any money because I thought I was a sneak in. So we all hand did the, they all handed him a $5 bill. I just gave him a, gave him a one and like went in to the show. And I was obsessed with the sliver seven inch at this point. I just wanted to hear them play sliver. Um, yeah. And then they were handing out the flyer for uh, smells like teen syrup shoot. 
Wow. It looks like they did sliver at sound check. I'm lo- I found that while you were, I found oh, wow. it. it was August 15th, 1991 at uh, the Roxy theater. Wool opening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it says Scott reader did, uh, Sat was the sound guy. He was the sound guy for wool. Probably. I remember some shenanigans. That was also a, a prominent night because although I had been in proximity to crack smokers, I I went upstairs, Nirvana started. I go upstairs to, I'm like, oh shit, they're going on. I go upstairs to grab a beer and I walk into probably Wool's dressing room. It could have been Nirvana's dressing room. But before I opened the door, I could smell burning tires and I opened the door and there was just this like sort of throwback uh, 80s looking chick um, going, it burns, it burns. And she was like smoking rock in the room. And I was just like, Nirvana had just gone on. They were playing a song that I love. I was trying to grab a beer and there was this girl, like some un- unknown, like smoking crack in the dressing room. I was just like, okay, this is way too much information. I just want to go down there and get in front of the band and like go nuts right now. And I remember the show being insanely good. Like it just didn't right. stop. It was uh, amazing. One of those things when, you know, people are like, oh, I don't know. They weren't really that good live. I was like, dude, that show like kick it was it was incredible it was like they were on fire it was awesome They're amazing live band yeah specifically with dave on drums like that was, was i was gonna say my favorite era at least watching retroactively of course i was a bit too young is like once dave joined in 90 till probably the the reading show that brian talked about the following year 92 when they headlined yeah because i feel like after that when they got pat smear and it was just a little different even though it was like, a little more was subdued cool. yeah like it I, was it was not as exciting because uh-huh. they were on this not as upward, raw yeah. this upward trajectory too uh-huh. like i can only imagine like the excitement you know around that time they were all, all those all those shows were exciting i saw the went with pete and franz the the famous show when they were recording at sound city but they played a um a benefit for i can't remember which band at jabberjaw nirvana played at jabberjaw and, and iggy pop showed up with his uh in his limousine with his uh his town car with his uh sub pop nirvana seven inch to be signed you know and it's just like fuck this band is just crushing it and iggy pops in the front and came for an autograph and it was just like you said it was it was an exciting thing to to be around i mean nobody obviously knew it was what, what was you know about to come but it was you could still feel the momentum just going and it was like it was fun all the shows were fun it was great and then we went the next day to the to the video shoot um, I went with Dave Stern, who was in Swizz and Blue Tip, uh, and we kind of hung out and ate some free sandwiches and then got bored. And uh, I went with Clifford from Blast, and we went and saw L7 at Raji's that night and took mushrooms. It was just like every day was just like a like looking back, you're like, whoa, I did that. And then the next day I went and did that. You know, it was just like it was a good time. Yeah. I sound like an old guy, but I really I have fond memories of that, of that, all of that, you know. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, I had, I like I said, I can't imagine. So for for those playing where it went bingo, you can check me mentioning Nirvana off yeah, your seriously. box. Yes. But so so now well, let's talk I, about Blue you know th- yeah this this kind of leads in because if you guys are out and about in LA, there's a lot of live music going on, and at some point you're like, hey, it's time we start our own band. So. Let's briefly talk about the impetus of of Bluebird, and then you know we'll we'll shortly get to the Revelation Records twelve inch. But you guys had a seven inch 
before that in 1995, according to Discog. So uh, let's talk about the, the formation and that first seven inch and then leading up to the Revelation 12 inch. I'll do the first part and then I'll let Sam pick up because he's a lot better with um, dates and times and stuff like that I fluctuate. But so around that time, from that point when Sam and I first met that we later put together, um, I was either trying to like jam with people. I was going to maybe be in wool or, may, you know, maybe be in this band, a lot of bands, too many to remember. And then I just realized I wanted to start a band um, with my brother, who was the bass player in Bluebird, Jim Brown. Um, and we went through a series of different, you know, incarnations. And um, the last one was with Dave Stern, who I mentioned from Blue Tip and, and Swizz. Uh, and we'd lost our singer and we just, we'd been doing it a while and the band was cool. We could just never find a singer and uh, Sam can pick up. But the last guy that recommended a new singer or somebody to sing with was Chris Bratton, uh, who was now playing in Wool. Um, and he recommended Sam and Sam came and jam with us and it was really cool. Um, and then my brother, myself and Dave, I can't remember the specifics. There was a huge fight afterwards and the whole thing just imploded like another two years down the, down the fucking drain where you're just like, Oh my God, it's like, this is just nightmares, you know? Um, and, uh, I was really depressed and then kind of went through some metamorphosis, but when I was like ready to, uh, to get my big boy pants back on and, and do it again. Um, my brother was kind of like floating at that point. He might've been up in Seattle or maybe went back to Arizona. I don't remember where he was. He wasn't in the city, but I called Sam, which was kind of an unorthodox thing for a drummer to call a singer. You know, you usually start with a guitar player, or bass player, but I reached out to Sam because I remembered he had a good energy and a good vibe. And uh, we just started hanging out and listening to music. We listened to a lot of, live at Leeds and who and uh, just all kinds of shit. And then I'll let Sam pick up from there, but that's kind of, that's how I remember it. Yeah. That's, that's pretty dead on. I, I had moved back to California after I graduated from the university of Oregon and was living in LA. Um, didn't really know that many people, um, but Chris Bratton was one of them. And um, you know, I, I, uh, I was living with Rich Jacobs, who you guys are probably familiar with. He did because of the iceburn artwork and stuff like that. <clears throat> and another friend by the name of Pat, we were living on the West side and I, you know, I didn't know too many people going to shows. I knew Zach and, 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 a few, and I knew the wool guys. And um, Chris Bratton called me one day and he was like, Hey, have you thought about doing another band? I was in a band called Yuck Mouth uh, before I went to school up in Oregon. And I had a band in Oregon too. Actually, we played with Will. With Will, we were called Filler, and um, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know. I, I've been thinking about it. You know, just I was kind of enjoying, um, just kind of like figuring out LA and meeting people and going to shows and stuff. But you know, a lot of my friends were in bands, and and uh, I certainly was like, mm, I kind of miss this, you know. And um, yeah, Chris had called me and he was like, "Are you thinking? Have you thought about?" playing in any bands or anything and I was you know I was like I don't know sure and he was like well I, I told these guys these two brothers from Arizona um Dave Stern who um Dave Stern was played he was a last bass player in Swizz but he was playing guitar in this in this group it was called Ladmo Bag was the name of it and they're looking for a singer and I was like okay and Brian called me hey real quick 
I was on Wallace and Ladmo. So was, was my brother. And I so had no and shit. I got a fucking Ladmo bag. So Holy was my brother. Shit. And I'm still and I'm still <laughs> envious of it. Yeah, I never got it. My brother won the art wow. contest and he got a Ladmo what, bag. What is that? Can so you, do you remember yeah, like you need to explain Bozo, what the Ladmo do you remember like Bozo the Clown show yes. from Chicago? It was like that. There was these two guys called Wallace and Ladmo, and it was in like Phoenix, Arizona, and it was their comedy kids show and so they would have all these kids be in the audience and like yeah cheering for their fucking dumb like juggling or whatever it is and showing woody woodpecker cartoons and then at the end you would get this paper bag and it's a ladmo bag and it'd be filled with like junk or whatever goodies and- twinkies and snickers and like totally. passes to the amusement park and like you know, you're trying to think of a cool band name. And and I had said it to my brother in passing and Dave Stern was like, what's that? And I'm like, Ladmo bag. And he thought it was like a drug reference or like some Vietnam reference or something. Wow. And then my brother and I were like, oh, well, he has he's not familiar with it. So he has a completely different take on it. So we were like, yeah, Ladmo bag. And he's like, let's name it that. And we were like, OK, you know, it'll be like just like yourself, like anyone that hears it, they're going to be like, holy what? shit, like a core Those... memory was just unlocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, <laughs> was kind of like, you know, before irony, like naming your band. Some, it, it was just sort of just like, yeah, it'll be weird, you know. Yeah. Wow. And it's an L-A-D-M-O. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ladmo. Yeah. Think there's any on yeah, YouTube that's it. Ladmo bag. Ladmo bag. Yeah. Holy shit. It's literally a brown paper bag with Ladmo bag screened on it. And it was just the coolest thing in the world. Alice Cooper won one. Yeah. Alice Cooper. <laughs> yeah. Baby. Uh, yeah. The coop. Wow. Yeah. So, so he was like, they're called Ladmo bag and they want someone that can like actually sing or whatever. Um, so uh, he gave Brian my number and, and Brian called me and, um, and we, we arranged, you know, a time for me to come down to their rehearsal space. And, uh, and I listened to their songs. I remember I, I walked in, it was kind of intimidating to see three guys. And I was, I was like, that, I was like, Oh, these guys are really good musicians. These are, these guys are players, you know? Um, and, uh, I kind of remember being pretty intense, like kind of intense dudes. <laughs> there's the, there's the Yuckmouth record. Um, so um, yeah. And then I just kind of listened and I was like, all right, let's play that one again. And I just jumped in and, and, and improvised uh, vocals on it. And we did that a few times throughout the night. And <clears throat> I remember after Brian was like, Hey, that was really cool. And, and, and his brother was pretty solemn. I don't know if he's anything to me. Um, and it was kind of like, that was, cool you know like me let's do that again and we're playing a show but you know it's not it's you know obviously it's like been a week but you should come and so i went to their show and saw him play and i thought it was cool and then brian called me or i ran into him and he was like hey that that bam we, we broke up but I, i'm gonna call you and i would run into brian at shows and we kind of have the same like hey man i'm gonna i'm gonna call you i'm gonna call you and i remember like what, what is up with this dude you know, like just keeps telling me he's going to call me. Um, and then he called me and he was like, Hey, I want to start a band. I, 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 I want to start a band with you and let's start looking for a guitar player and a bass player. And he was like, Hey, you know, my brother's a really good bass player, but maybe we should try something different. I was just in a band with him and I was like, okay. And, uh, but then we went and saw his brother play. He was playing with this band, Idaho which is a really cool Los Angeles band. Oh, I love Hearts of Palm. 
Man, what a great, great record. record. Uh, really wow. Great record. Yeah. If, to reference kind of slow Corey, I guess that's a, mm. I that, that phrase. But um, you guys got me looking up all kinds of stuff. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I was cool. They had these like custom guitars and four strings. I don't know. Anyways, I, we were watching him and I was like, man, this guy is an incredible bass player. You know, and we left that show. And I remember it was then or a couple days later, I was like, Brian, your, bro your brother rips, dude. You know, like maybe we should we should jam with your brother. Um, and then we we started jamming with his brother and, and we were looking for a guitar player. And this is a big story. And Brian will jump in, too. But I remember making a flyer. I don't know if you remember this, Brian. I made a flyer. Dude, we made we made you made so many flyers. We yeah, made one had, like Keith Townsend on it, ACDC. Yeah. But I remember it was like something like looking for guitar player uh, influences. It was like so weird, like Slint, Swizz, and like ACDC or The Who or something. Like I remember Greg Anderson was like, damn, if I lived in LA and I saw this flyer, I'd call you guys up, you know? But um, <laughs> but in LA, you know, like those, those names, people, honestly, there wasn't many people that would know who Swizz was or even Slint at the time. Um, and that was just, the, the idea of that was just like, we want someone really diverse, you know, that can kind of go anywhere. Cause like, we're kind of all over the place in the stuff that we're interested in, you know? Um, but anyways, and that became <laughs> the hunt for the guitar player. Uh, and we jammed with so many people for so long. Uh, we were talking with us today. We, we shared a rehearsal space with Zach De La Rocha in Highland Park. We jammed with Zach a few times. Um, and with Aaron Ward, who is Bill Ward's son, Black Sabbath, who was, and I'll let Brian talk about that. Um, there was just a, a ton of people. Brian. Yeah, you know, they were, there was a, there was a, a lot of guitar players and it's that thing, a lot of people that we were friends with that we're still friends with, uh, where it kind of like, it's a little bit awkward, but not really, cause you're just jamming. But if it doesn't, you know, we're making the call whether it feels right. So it's like, there's a little bit of judgment there for lack of a better word. And you know, it, couple times you felt bad, but it's like, I wasn't really feeling it, you know, but uh, I remember jamming with Aaron and hearing that his dad was Bill Ward and you're like, Oh, that's fucking amazing. That's great. But like, okay, well, whatever about that. And then we jam with him and I was like, this is great. This guy's totally cool. He fits uh, like everything about it was great. And then uh, he was like, yeah, you know, really, I just heard you guys were kind of a cool band and you needed a guitar player, but I'm moving to San Francisco in two weeks. Um, I don't not even I'm sorry to waste your time. And it was kind of a bummer, but it was still a little bit encouraging. I'm like, OK, well, it is you know, it is possible. We will find somebody. And the hard thing was because my brother's such a an unorthodox style of bass player. He's plays a lot of chords. He's very busy. Uh, he's not like a pocket bass player. He is. He used to plays a lot of weird shit with feedback and stuff. So we were really looking for either a guitar player that could go toe to toe with him power wise and have it be like just complete power or somebody that was a little bit more textural and really knew how to work with feedback and delay, but still could reference punk rock and, uh, you know, come at it from that angle. Cause anytime you start getting into, you start talking about quote unquote effects, you know, you, you're kind of going into like, it could be like a real shitbird situation there. So it's, it was hard. Yeah. 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 What, yeah. what uh, year was this? That, this that was, that was 95, right? Yeah, it was. I, I want to say it was ninety five. Yeah, it was ninety five. We all we. In, it, in, let me interrupt. In ninety four, that's that's when after my brother and I when we jammed with Sam and things went south, 
that's when we kind of started to venture out. And that's when my brother took the Idaho gig. Um, I randomly through a whole nother weird story, met Dick Dale and ended up touring with him and going to Europe with him right around the same time that Bluebird was getting up and running. So we were kind of like having fun, just like, you know, being sidemen basically, you know, but still wanted to pursue our own thing. So you're like, I took this, I took this, this gig with Dick Dale, which was a dream come true. But you're like, I'm, I still want to do the band. I'm quitting. Yeah, I, I didn't want to be that guy that's like, hey, I'm the gun for hire, but you guys will be here right when I get back. But it was, you know, it was Dick Dale and there's like peel sessions and like uh, it was, you know, it was cool. It was it was rad. It's still like that was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. But so I anyway, know, I know to the Aaron Ward thing, I was thinking about this today when Aaron came in and jam, I was like, hey, this Aaron Ward's going to come in. It's Bill Ward from Black Sabbath's son. You know, we're like, and I was like, well, let's not black black sabbath thing you know and everybody's like yeah yeah okay let's let's just focus on you know the music and stuff and then we jam with him when we were talking and then <laughs> i think collectively we were just like okay I, that's no, it was, you it was my about black sabbath, bro. It was my brother he's like tell me hey let's hear some sabbath stories i was kind of like oh fuck dude really you're gonna ask him that jim's like what you know like i want to hear do you remember what he told us yeah it's like first memory was i think on the was on the born again tour on the tour bus the tour bus yeah yeah you're like you're one of your first memories is being on the tour bus with black sabbath it's like really it's like <laughs> that's amazing that's incredible born, born again that's the one with the uh the like bait the devil the baby. baby on the front. yeah the, the devil baby that's a cool yeah. record honestly yeah man. yeah i mean they're all cool yeah. in their own in their own way you know yeah, once, sure. you, once you once you get older and you're a little bit open-minded and you're not so like yeah that's not this or that's not an aussie record it's like you know, I remember reading an interview with, uh, uh, was it, it was, it was a black flag interview and they were basically saying that, you know, before they would go in, they would rehearse, they would listen to mob rules, you know? Yep. And I'm like, that's what, that's what made me listen to the, and now I love the Dio stuff and the, yeah. the born again. It was, de- it was like Rollins and, okay, uh, right. and maybe Bill Stevens. You can't really be a black Sabbath fan. I'm sorry. This might be controversial if you don't accept the Dio stuff. Cause that's some of the, that's a band that changed a singer and changed into a whole new decade and crushed. It. Agreed. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, so that, that, that led to the guitar player thing. And then I'll let Sam pick up. But then again, once again, Chris Bratton enters the picture again, he brought us Sam and then he recommended Barry Thomas. Uh, yeah. So, so, so Chris had been on tour with wool, obviously playing drums and the roadie was this Canadian guy uh, named Barry Thomas. Uh, and he was like, hey, you know, Barry's in, in, in L.A. for kind of an indefinite, indefinite amount of time. He's <clears throat> he's out at the studio called Rancho de la Luna that uh, Brian was more familiar with out in the desert and kind of hanging out there, maybe apprenticing a little bit stuff and, and, and he plays guitar. And which was interesting because we would I would discover this later when we started talking to him. It's another one of these connective things that I had met Barry when I booked the last handful of Scream shows in Southern California because he was roadieing for Scream. And that's was his connection to Wool. He also roadied for the Doughboys, who I was a huge fan of the Doughboys too. So it was sort of this like more, I don't know, this a lot of full circle stuff happening. But yeah, he came and I remember he came in and he, he brought a guitar, but he also brought uh, an analog space echo with him and set that up. He had a telly and a Fender high watt. I mean, uh, he had a high watt and a Fender telly. Uh, no, was it? Did he have a? Yeah, 
Yeah, he had a. Was it a Telecaster or a, or a Strat? It was a, it was no, a it was a Tele. It was yeah. a Tele. Yeah. And I'm a huge Who fan, and so 80, 80s Who. He plays a Tele, and then the high watt stuff is a big Pete Townsend thing. So. Yeah, and he got great feedback, and then he just threw some delay on top of it, and it just sounded great. And we were kind of like, we found our guy, you know. Yeah, and yeah, and we we'd been. It felt like an eternity of searching, to be honest with you, and that just gelled. And I. I think we all felt like comfortable because we had so many mutual friends, you know, and we really looked up to scream and bull and having somebody that was, you know, close to that family was and that felt good to us, you know? Um, yeah. The seven inch was really quickly after Barry joined the band. We, we kind of wrote those songs that are on the seven inch and it's two songs and then an ambient sort of jam, I suppose. And our friend, that we we practiced in this space in Highland Park, and at the end of the hall was a good friend of Brian's. Was this guy Chris Wagner, who was a bass player for a band called Mary's Danish that had sort of a moment in the late '80s and the whole Red Hot Chili Peppers, Thelonious Monster, Jane's Diction world. And he was like, "Correct me, Brian, I might be off on some of this stuff." But he was like, "Hey, you guys, well, if you like recording today or whatever," and we just kind of went down and into his space and 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 recorded those songs, and then immediately kind of had like. I guess like a three song demo before it was yeah we we stayed up and he was like there was only four studios in that lockout um high ceilings us and zach in the one room art boofmeyer in another one uh john Reshnik, i think uncle dog food maybe was was the, was the other one um or he was in mazachanka too like another just perfect rehearsal and it was just like a dumbwaiter and it was right on York and it was uh, like, uh, you know, before cell phones and there was one phone in the building. But yeah, Wag just being a bro and was really into recording, recorded us, I think, on a ADAP machine, I think is what we did. And we just uh, it was super. It was just right on the fly. And we wrote two songs and one was kind of a pop song and one was more of kind of a post punk kind of thing. And the other one was a space jam. And it was really reflective of sort of what would what was to come but it it was it was cool because uh we just did it and it was it was there uh it was done yeah and we we decided to press that onto a seven inch ourselves um but this leads to revelation because i had sent i sent a cassette of it to to jordan um and not like with the intention of like hey we're trying to be on revelation or anything like that just because he's my friend and, you know, I just kind of wanted my friends to hear what I was up to. And I sent him uh, the cassette and I can't remember how he, whether it was an email or a, he wrote me back or it was a phone call. I mean, I, I assume it was kind of a phone call, but he wrote back and was like, hey, this is really cool. Would you want to do something with Revelation? But it was actually, he was thinking that it would be on crisis, which was um, obviously, as we know, that sort of sub-label it's funny because I'm again digging into the brain vault here, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, that could be cool. Like not the seven inch, but do you, would you guys want to do a recording uh, with me? And I remember coming back to, and I don't know if Brian remember this to you guys. I'm like, hey, Revelation's interested, but they want to do it on crisis. And you guys are like, that's a self-prophesizing word. <laughs> I don't know if we want to put a record on a label that's called crisis. Are we stepping <laughs> into crisis? And it became, which is a very, if, I had, if I'm going to say a very bluebird thing, to do to think of like in this other sort of realm you know like ah oh, the name alone is 
And so we went back to, and, and uh, Jordan, I remember, came to a show or two and really liked it. And 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 uh, and, and I, personally, I remember like at the time, Revelation was putting out some pretty interesting and fascinating music, specifically Iceburn and Engine Kid and some stuff that really wasn't, um, it didn't have a huge attachment to some of the earlier catalog stuff that was hardcore and whatnot. So I was really, I was really into that stuff or I was really into the idea of, of being involved in that. But we really were like, hey, we want to be on Revelation. And he was kind of like, okay, well, Crisis, you know, is kind of the new. And I was like, we were like, nah, it's going to be Revelation. And John, who had worked there at the time, was like, he was like, you know, Bluebird kind of A&R themselves off of Crisis and into Revelation. <laughs> I think like Jordan was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't, sure, but let's just do Revelation. But um, it was a really funny, a funny conversation. And it, it wasn't like an overnight kind of conversation. We kind of kept having it. I was like, eh. But anyways, um, well, yeah. I was going to say, it's funny because this release is sandwiched in between Better Than a Thousand, Just One. Yeah. And then I believe, is it Kiss It Goodbye? Which, I mean, really, if you think about it, right, I think it's Kiss It Goodbye. I'm going to look at our handy list. Uh, if you go to whereitwentpodcast.com, Javier put together a what what i will go on record as saying this is definitive as definitive as you're going to get discography for no you know what it is guess what it's sandwiched between the next release so it's better than a thousand just oh one, youth of the today bluebird ep and then can't close my eyes the reissue yes yeah so that's yeah. kind of funny too it's interesting because there was that sort of esoteric period as we might say with into another <clears throat> early into another and iceburn and <laughs> the engine kids ice burn split stuff like that yeah. really, like kind of an esoteric it, 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 especially in context to the catalog and then there was a shift where it was sort of back into hardcore because in, in my eyes came out somewhere around that too because yeah they did. we had before we had recorded we went out and played a cmj uh relation showcase at at um at cbgb's and it was like a little more of the esoteric stuff. And then when we released the album and it was our first tour, we played the, again, another one that was like at Wetlands. And it was way more like In My Eyes played. I remember Ignite played. Yeah, maybe Better better Than A Thousand played. And it was like, okay, this this has changed now. You know, again, like this has changed to sort of more of a, like a traditional hardcore thing. Um, yeah, which, like if you look at the, if you look, you know, we talked before on here about how like you have the early, you know, classic era. And then you have that shift where we, we, we've all, we've sort of debated, well, where did the shift happen? Was it the burn seven inch? Was it super touch? Was it rain Porcel? And I think we all came to the agreement that really you could say shelter perfection desire. Yeah. Kind of where it like really, uh, you know, changed because you had the youth today, seven inch, but then you had quicksand and inside out and the storm. And then, yeah, you got into another, far side statue you know all that stuff that yeah, Bluebird think, definitely fits in with i think that was challenging the, the your rev fan a little bit i don't know or, or, or just challenging i don't know if the right word but we're definitely stretching it a little bit you know okay. and, and i don't think it was that was intentional but it was kind of testing some people to see where they went and, and, and testament to the label people went with it which was really cool 
you know, I think if you're like, listen to you today, and then it's like, here's it into another. That's a pretty big jump, you know, or like mm. listening to underdog, you know, like, here's into another. It's like, into another is pretty wild. It's like yeah. a wild band, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah, we were, I, I, we were part of the esoteric. It's funny. I went to a show in Orange County years ago and this guy walked by me and he sees me and he goes, Oh, rep 61. Uh, walked past me and I was with my friend Anthony and I, I go I think someone just referred to me as a catalog number <laughs> you, you, you got recognized recognized from recognized. a catalog number I, Yo, I think it's you know, Adam from Revelation who works there that said it yeah oh nice I think it, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm making it up but I was like I just got referenced as a catalog so That's two it. two things there I saw on Instagram just this week slap a ham records somebody got a catalog number tattooed on their back and they are slap a ham like number 66 or something like that it's one of one it was like a whole story about it so it does exist it's incredible and then also adam actually told me that this record is one of the most collectible revelation 12 inches because of the white vinyl there was only a hundred of and that's a pretty low number for a revelation record and so yeah it's it was kind of a sought after and expensive and and hard to find thing mm. which you know goes with the whole revelation records kind of mythos and people have bugged us like why don't you guys talk about pressing numbers and about vinyl numbers and this and that and it's like because it, it doesn't translate well to the audio format, first of all. Maybe if we were a video show and, you know, we were showing our, well, this has the Matrix etching and this is first press and this has the, you know, whatever. But anyway, it's cool that this, like we're saying, it doesn't fit in with some of the other catalog numbers, but it still fits in in the terms of, you know, the the revelation records uh i don't know the the whole complete package where it's like you got the star on it you got the collectability you got the distribution you know it, it kind of all fits in together it's interesting too because that era right about that era is when people really would start buying cds a lot more too that's you what know, i was gonna it, say like this was like they're probably only pressed 100 because I mean, in general, people weren't, I mean, you know, people always bought Rev records, but more people were buying stuff on CD. Yeah, I mean, that's when Tower Records was in full bloom and all these sorts of things. And CDs were, you know, Walkman, uh, Discmans were a thing at that point. And, and it was like, a, that was like, I mean, even I remember as a band, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, vinyl's cool, but can we get more CDs? You know, it was like, mm -hmm. that was just a thing. So <clears throat> I got a question for you. Yeah. So I just want to hear more about the recording process for the song. So it was something that you recorded at Rancho de la Luna that you yeah, talked so, about briefly. Yeah, I wish Brian had fallen off because he's a big part of this. So once we had sort of figured out working with with Revelation, it was going to be on Revelation and all this kind of stuff. And there was like a budget or whatever. Um, you know, I don't I remember too much about the process of like, uh, how should we record this? Or where should we record this? Or any of that kind of stuff. But Brian was really instrumental in that because he was really close with the guy, Fred, that owned Rancho de la Luna. Rancho de la Luna at this point has become, it's sort of, it's made a lot of records and it's in Dave Grohl's television show on HBO. And 
you know, Queens of Stone Age and P.G. Harvey, all these people have recorded there. It's, it's probably the most famous studio in Joshua Tree to the point where Dave Catching, who owns it now, has had to move out of that studio and get oh, another house people were like showing up and, and, and whatnot. Um, hmm. But at the time, it was still pretty obscure, you know, and, and uh, I was aware of it because Wool had recorded there and Caius had recorded there. And at that point in 1992, uh, seven, I think, when we record the record, you have to check the liner notes and that. But I was obsessed with Caius. I was like obsessed with Caius. So I was like, Caius. And then, you know, it's funny that you brought up Scott Reeder doing sound for Wool at that show because Scott Reeder is the one that recorded the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a close friend of Brian's. And, and, um, you know, Brian, uh, you know, he's, I, I think he had met him originally when he was in the Obsessed. He was living in LA and they were close and friends. And, and I think he was instrumental too, potentially in maybe Brian even moving from Arizona to LA. Um, and you know, he's a guy that was in heavy, heavy band, but had a really great sense of melody. And 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 uh, he, he had engineered some, some of that stuff. Here comes Brian. This is perfect timing. Okay, perfect. Uh, uh, Brian, welcome back. Sorry, that's okay. I found the dates. Okay, that's what I was looking. I, so, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to like. Uh, just you know, I was looking on here. Uh, yeah. It looks like it was recorded two days in June of 96. Okay, 96. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the layout now. Yeah, so Brian, we we kind of stepped into the sure. the recording at, uh, the buildup to the recording at Rancho uh, with Scott. So let's, sure. let, you're the guy really for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, Sam and I were talking. It's just because I didn't know a lot of engineers that well. And I was with Scott when he recorded Wool's first seven inch. I think Buzz had put it out on Fuck You. He had like some label called, I think, Fuck You Records. And uh, maybe it was a split with the Melvins. I can't remember. Um, maybe it was just a Wool 7-inch. But Scott was there and he was really proficient and great. And we would hang out and do Thanksgiving together. And he was in the Obsessed at the time. Uh, and when I first met him and then he, then he joined Caius. Um, but we were just really close and he was from the desert. So it seemed like an obvious, an obvious thing to see if he would want to engineer that Uh, he wasn't really comfortable with like, you know, quote unquote producing, but um, uh, I don't think any of us were, but yeah, that's how that came together. And uh, we went out there and brought the dogs and some food and uh, (laughs) jammed and made a record basically. Yeah. Cause Jason, you had mentioned like, Hey, when I hear about the songs, it's funny because Brian and I talked about this too. Like we didn't, we didn't like write an EP. We didn't write an album. You know, we, we kind of had some songs and, you know, a lot of, a lot of how we wrote songs, if that's how you want to put it, were really just out of jamming in our rehearsal space. We would go in and just have these lengthy jams, really. We just liked playing. And I think we had spent so much time looking for people to be in the band you know, it was kind of like, oh, we have this opportunity to record. Let's just take it now, <clears throat> you know, and, and our early shows, really a lot of our shows for our entire quote unquote career, we, we had a lot of improvisation and ambient moments and, and jams per se. So that was a pretty good reflection of, you know, just kind of like, okay, well, let's just take kind of what we're doing and move it into Rancho and kind of see what happens. So know? the liner notes say, uh, these are a collection of songs. Now, I don't know if this is a typo or if this is intentional. It says preformed instead of performed. 
but it could it works both ways right like preformed like we had these songs uh, it says preformed and improvised by bluebird during two days in the month of june 96. so you guys literally kind of yeah, just went in and and preformed would be a very bluebird term that's yeah that would be that would be or, yeah, or, yeah for sure yeah uh, for sure um uh yeah i remember just all of us making eye contacting having good visual and uh you know doing there were some vocal overdubs but sam was there in the room doing it with us just kind of going for it um pretty old school um you know not how i would have recorded how we recorded any other record you know you you lay down your stuff you, you jam live and then systematically go through like it wasn't we didn't like you go in this room and you go in this room and you know it's like this it was like we sort of figured it out so we could all see each other and essentially record it live did you use a handheld mic or were you in a different no it, it's interesting i was headphones. i didn't have a handheld mic and and um you know there was things i learned a lot in that recording session and really all all the blue sessions you know um i was very we were all pretty naive um on how to do things you know i would say brian <clears throat> out of all of us was probably the most in in tune with recording again like he's him and his brother were just such incredible players and it you know again like jamming with people like dick dale and stuff you know um yeah that's wild wasn't handheld if i don't if i remember correctly um because you it, just did vocals right no guitar no guitar no that doesn't the album uh the liner notes just tell who's in it doesn't say who did okay um yeah i mean pretty sure that's all i did i mean there was other things that would happen within our jamming percussion and and other weird instruments that i would i mean there was all kinds of stuff live that we were doing but brian was playing drums and brought his vibraphone and that was a big part of the ambient stuff and i remember one at one point barry had pushed his guitar rig out outside in the it was in the desert really this isn't when like tons of people lived in joshua tree and we had a space echo going and it was a pretty wild vibe um brian's coming back but mm. um, but yeah it was a lot of improvisation <clears throat> most like a 99 live <coughs> recording um some stuff was kind of written a lot of stuff wasn't um it's crazy listening to it now and just like part of like well that's really cool and then other parts i'm like that's kind of mm. you know be at my age now and I've made other records and been around music and studios and stuff you know it's like oh wow we really and i remember scott reader too was like i'm not a producer i'm an engineer i'm just gonna get the sounds so he wasn't like hey let's go back in and retract that vocal like more of like a steve albini type where it's just like i'll get you the sounds and you guys he wasn't do. he was you're still breaking up, Ryan. I think there's a I think there's a phone number if he wants to just but dial he in. Was, uh, yeah, <laughs> he was he was very hands off, you know. But, hey, Brian. Okay. Brian, uh, I'll do that. I really yeah, do that. I'm trying okay. to scrambling here. I feel like a, right. but yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think in the email, there's a phone number. He can just yeah. Sam, oh. did you have did you have lyrics written down or did you just improvise in the studio? It was both. Yeah. Like I remember I had written, there's a song called New York Minute. I, I had written lyrics to that. I was listening to it today. I'm like, oh, that's a Stevie Wonder reference to the seven she put out that was in Intervisions. It was like an all day sucker. I sound I, like, you know, like an all day sucker unwrapped and swallowed. That's a Stevie Wonder <laughs> reference to this 45 that came with the Intervisions. But 
yeah and then a lot of it i just was like kind of winging it you know but like stream of consciousness but you know i, I with an idea you know i was thinking like hereditary transmissions that's what opens the record with the, the kicks in kind of a stooges vibe that was really about um you know there's theory of alcoholism uh, that's hereditary um you know or now we it's really we kind of learn it's a lot more like pattern based that you learn it through your parents things like that but that song was about i have some people in my family that are alcoholics and kind of trying to piece that together and um you know that's funny because the songs too like some of the titles like the velas it has nothing to do with the lyrics that's an improvised thing uh, i think when i sang the song i was just thinking about um just the fall of, 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 oh gosh, this is gonna sound kind of corny, but of just the oppressors, you know, like it, it, it's like, you're gonna fall by your own, you know, you built this and it's gonna, it's gonna break. It was sort of that idea, um, but that's like crazy uh, improvised. And I think at the time, like it was like Velocity, Veloz was sort of a take on Velocity. That song's a lot faster than the other ones. and. Um, yeah, so it was a little bit of both. Some stuff I had written, we had kind of worked on, and then just a bunch of like, okay, well, here we go. In you know, really just kind of, it was a really wild way to make a record, especially your debut record, you know, especially your debut record on what's really primarily was considered a hardcore label. Right, that's what I was going to say. What did Jordan think uh, when, uh, you know, hearing uh i mean this is the guy who put out a, a ice burn record with that's what i think I, I figured he was probably stoked on it i yeah. felt we were pretty safe thanks to ice burn yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like if, if it wasn't for ice burn uh i don't know but you know it was much different than the, the cassette i sent him those were strong those were songs we wrote those and they came together really quick you know but these this was pretty i mean the way we did it we went about it was pretty unorthodox for the kind of yeah, I guess the label and stuff, but he liked it. He was into it. Like we never, we never got any kickback from from Jordan. And uh, we're certainly you could tell there were some people at the label that liked it, and other people that just didn't get it. You know, it didn't make sense to them. You know, um, at that point, this guy Tom was sort of an A and R guy there, and he really loved it. You know, and he was he was really championing it. Um, and Matt DeMello too. Yeah, Matt DeMello was working there. He was another like champion of uh, of it. He was doing press and I always felt weird at the shows because even though I had kind of grown up with like just a complete like mishmash of like upbringing of like you know being schooled going through music school, I still went to tons of hardcore show and punk shows, but I didn't really felt like I identified with anything and like uh you know kids would show up and I always kind of felt not really, but a little bit like I was letting them down. I was like, I hope you're not just coming because you want to hear, you know, like a hardcore band or, or some like something because it's not going to be that, you know. But uh, it was, I mean, I mean, I was just happy to be there. I was happy to have support and happy to have somebody putting the record out um, and to be affiliated with some other cool bands that I liked. And um, yeah, I was just it was pretty much gratitude even though i knew that we were kind of like the oddball you know on the band yeah. even i remember playing the the rev show art the rev showcase at cb's um 
And, you know, being homies with a lot of the other bands or people and stuff like that, but still being like, uh, these guys are the oddball band, which I was totally cool with, with being that. Um, but yeah, it was, sometimes there was some awkwardness that it was probably coming from my own like insecurity. Mm-hmm. No, it was, I, I, it was interesting because we certainly, I think, challenged the idea of what revelation was to a degree, <clears throat> you know, um, I remember playing a CB show and hearing these kids talk outside, you know, and they were like, oh, like, it was kind of, you know, there was, it was obviously there was a mixed thing. People didn't really understand it or get it. And, 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 and some, I, I felt like most bands kind of got it. We were kind of a band's band in a, in a lot of ways. I remember the Texas was reason guys were there and Scott came up to me and he was like super stoked on it. Like I heard somebody outside like, oh, this band Bluebird just played like, they're like, what are they like? And they referenced it. It's so funny because they referenced it to Statue, which is a revelation band, you know, not like, oh, well, maybe it's the Rites of Spring or the Meat Puppets or whatever, you know, Ladmo bag of stuff we were uh, pulling from, you know. Uh, but it was really when the record came out and we played the one at Wetlands with Ignite and, and in my eyes, I was like, oh, yeah, this is landing a little different here. Um, and this is definitely challenging some this isn't what they came to see but in those situations a lot of times we would kind of like dig into that you know like okay well let's antagonize people a little bit or let's really challenge them let's let's draw out this, this like ambient jam even longer to see the story the story that i always think about is the the helmet shows that we played and at that point we were doing like an extended like vibraphone jam at the beginning when i think about it now i'm like come on, dude, like what really? It's a little pretentious or whatever, but we were really just coming at it from like a, you know, a sincere spot. But I remember, you know, dudes um, yelling at us, you know, and, and, and calling us choice words about, you know, one's sexuality and, and whatnot. And my brother, we were playing like in somewhere inland, Corona or something like that. And uh, my brother, unbeknownst to me or anybody else, had gone to like this 99 cent store and bought some women's underwear and put it on underneath his his pants. And then as sure enough, like our first couple songs, some dude started dropping F-bombs and my brother just casually went and put his bass up against his like SVT cabinet, took his pants off, had like some like pink frilly dollar underwear on, women's underwear on. And then just like continue to <laughs> continue to jam. John Stanier seems to think that that's why the whole place got peppered spray by the security, which isn't true for the record. There was like some fight when Helmet was playing, but yeah, I think if we kind of like as Sam just said, dug into it. It's like yeah, those shows. Right, well, you want us to get you want us to get punk punk rock. I guess I'm gonna get punk rock by being weird right now and putting on some like gross underwear and like challenging your masculinity. You know, with yeah, the those, vibraphone. Those Helmet shows were we did a run of shows with helmet and they were really all very, very male, male energy, um, really pretty, pretty rough, you know, and, and, and one, I got, I actually was challenged at the first show. I think in San Diego, I ended up like fighting this guy. Wow. He came up to me and just started going crazy about how bad we were. And, and um, you know, it, uh, offended a, a female friend of mine. It was crazy. And yeah, then the, the one we played the showcase theater, that was just a really, like we said, that got pepper sprayed and, and Jim just crushed the base with like, you know, lingerie on and, and. Um, was that like aftertaste era probably, right? Aftertaste era. Was Chris, yeah. Chris Trainer on guitar? Yeah, Chris, it was Chris Trainer and that, okay. that lineup. And um, cool. 
but you know, it's funny. I remember, I remember when we got finished playing in San Diego, I was like, man, like, I bet you shudders to think deals with this kind of stuff or had dealt with this kind of stuff. Like, you know, it made me really think of like bands that were kind of pushing the envelope in a different way or just trying different things, you know, in, in the context of post hardcore, if you want to call it, or post hardcore punk or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty eye opening on those shows that, you know, I mean, there was, we also won some people over, which was super cool too, but, um, we faced a bunch of stuff. Like I that. mean, back to the, the Rev family thing. I remember um, playing, might've been our first tour, but just like, you know, you have certain shows, you're a new band, you're just out there trying your hardest. Um, when you're not teaming up with other bands and you're playing your own show. And we were somewhere in the Midwest. I don't know if it was Omaha, somewhere in the very middle of the country. And we showed up and it was like, I don't know. It was, there was three people at the show and, um, the, the promoter guy, I don't know, remember what exactly happened. Maybe there was only three people there. It was the wrong night, but the three people that were there all had the EP, the Rev EP. Um, and they were pumped and they were there to see us play. And we played and it was killer and it was great. I always like to tell everybody, uh, like, you know, 100% of the people in the venue already owned our record. You know, it's like, <laughs> I know there was only, it's a good percentage. I know there was only three. We killed it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great percent. Yeah, we killed it. They, everyone there already owned the record, but those kids were pumped. And I know that they were there because they were Rev fans, you know? Yeah. So they're like, oh, I'm going to buy this. You know, they just weren't like, oh, who's this random band from Southern California that's like, you know, whatever. It was for that affiliation. And I was, stoked to be there and talk to them afterwards and like had a great show and um it was like yeah it was great so so what bands did you feel you know were your who did you enjoy playing with the most because i looked at who you've played with and it kind of it's it's all over the place a lot of it's not you know hardcore traditional rev bands um but who did you enjoy playing shows with most i mean I know that you toured with Frodis and they themselves were kind of in that same, you know, they're hardcore punkish. They drew some of that crowd, but then also didn't really fit in necessarily. Yeah. We, they we, were one of our favorite bands to tour with for sure. I'll let you pick up Sam, but like they were definitely like, you know, it was just shenanigans 24 seven, you know, like, and the shows were great and we would trade off. Yeah. We met them in a basement in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I think on mm-hmm. the first actual U.S. tour, which was half on our own and, and the other half was supporting L7. Yeah, we met them and they were just really cool people, you know, and uh, the band ripped. And um, I remember, when, you know, after that tour, they called us and like, hey, you know, we should tour together. But they were a really fun one. And Blue Tip were a band we really had a kinship with. And it's funny, and I'll side note this. So when... Dave Stern moved back. He decided to move back to Washington, D.C. after he stopped playing with Brian and Jim. And he was like, hey, I'm going to move back to D.C. and start another band with Jason Farrell from Swiss. And I was like, cool, man. And he was like, do you know any bass players in Washington, D.C.? Which is a funny question to ask a dude from Southern California about bass players in Washington, D.C. But as fate would have it, um, the bass player my first band was this guy Jake Kump and Jake Kump was we grew up together in Orange County and he moved out to Washington DC to go to George Washington University and he was an amazing bass player and I said hey I do have a really close friend of mine that just graduated from George Washington and he's a bass player and he can play anything and everything and here's his number so 
as time progressed and Brian and I got it together and we started playing and we, we, we just, you know, we became what we called Bluebird. Uh, I got a call from, from Dave Stern and he was like, Hey man, I just wanted to call you. Uh, I started this band um, with Jason and Jake Kump is the bass player and he's here with me. They called me from like a bar and uh, you're right. He, he's a great guy and he can play everything. And I was like, amazing, dude. What's the band called? And he's like, Blue Tip. And he's like, what's up with you? And I'm like, I started a band with Brian and Jim. And he's like, no way. He's like, amazing. Well, this guy Barry's playing guitar. He was Brody for Wool and Scream. And he's like, what's it called? I'm all, it's called Bluebird. And it was just so funny that these things were, it's such an interesting and fun connection and how those things kind of worked, worked out. And, you know, we ended up playing a lot of shows with them over the years, but we ended up doing a couple of tours with them. And those were, amazing and you know we we really looked out as as a band because like i said before i, I think ban bands actually really liked us we got the opportunity to play with fugazi and rage against the machine and the jesus lizard and um x i saw an x flyer x a few times and x being south by southwest and offered us a show uh yeah in la which is like you know it's like well of course you know what i mean by all means you know tell me when and where and i'll be there yeah, I mean, we were blown away when they asked us to play. We played them a couple times. We toured the Foo Fighters, and we played with them. And um, you know, Wolves. Foo Fighters tour was was fun. Was like super. There was again like uh, total bros. You know, our van had broke down. We had to rent a van at the end of um, our shows of our leg of the tour. There was like you know an extra five hundred bucks. You know, for the for the van, or maybe it's even a grand or something. You know, but like um, you know when you're when you tour with with people and they and they care the l7 tour was super fun you know like parties afterwards going to someone's house um there was one night i'll leave out all the the details in dayton ohio that was just like crazy just like really really fun times uh, off you know um you know off days um just uh yeah we we're really really fortunate to to have connected with a lot of bands on a personal level and yes. being sort of an oddball, oddball band, it was hard to find. I don't know if we ever really did, you know, see eye to eye. I just read it. I just found I'm going through a box of stuff because I'm kind of like posting stuff little by little. But it was a review of a, a show at Spaceland with Golden, Silkworm, Bluebird, and I can't remember, maybe Trans Am. Maybe Trans Am was yeah, yeah. And and it was basically like uh, you know the guy i'm paraphrasing but he's like four guys going nowhere referring to bluebird like these guys suck it's like silkworm horrible vocals they suck there's nothing there he loved golden um you know but when i read it i i, I laughed because i was just like i don't even really remember that you know but it's like um it was a fun night i just remember hanging out with our friends and everybody you know having yeah, we, we played with sonic youth we played with uh Mud honey, gosh, we played with so many bands. Um, was the Foo Fighters tour when Franz was in it, like Color and yeah. the Shape, like after Pat Smear left? Yeah, we played then. We played. We, we, were at CM, we were at CMJ when he was announced as the guitar player, and they played on the roof of Radio City Music Hall. Do you remember that, Brian? Of course, I was there. I was standing yeah. right there when Pat handed him the guitar. Yeah, yeah. it was great. Like yeah, uh, a lot of there was a we crisscrossed a lot a lot with them and. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a fun. I remember meeting William and Nate um, when David first like teamed up with them and going out with them and what and being, uh, you know, um, 
I think at the Viper Room or something like that, you know, and that's like right, right when we first started. Just again, like a lot of bands and crossover looking back onto it, it was really fortunate to, um, you know, to have been around at that time. I'm sorry my phone dropped out and it, it fell off, but I just, I want to just go back to just so I can say my two cents about the recording out in Joshua Tree, the actual recording, you know, when, when Sam had told me, uh, I checked in with him. I was a little bit foggy on my dates and, uh, he's like, I listened to the record this morning just to refresh myself. And I'm like, that's a good idea. And I listened to it, uh, at lunchtime. I listened to the whole thing all the way through. Uh, and it, it actually made me really happy, uh, to listen back to it. Not necessarily because, um, you know, I like all the choices that I made at that point in time, but I really felt I could just feel it was just a very honest, um, attempt at making a recording with with five guys um scott being the guy there and you know jordan you know um putting it out um it was just the energy that i felt listening to it other unlike some other recordings that i've made in my life you know i i had it it left me with a really good feeling and as sam said we were just kind of we just we just went in green and didn't try to like uh think about it too much and it shows in the recording and if you listen to it there's some pop elements and there's some psychedelic elements and there's some punk elements and there's some rock elements and it's kind of it's all in there but when i listened back to it when i you know when i finished the last track i, I was actually really happy so that it was it was kind of a, a cool thing i haven't listened to it for a long time so thanks for even like taking the time to talk to us about it. Cause I went to sat there and, and taken a half an hour to listen to that recording, but it was, it was a cool experience to listen to it, which I don't normally do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Know. you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, before we, before we wrap up, there's two, two things. Well, three, um, you did, did you do stuff after this? Cause I saw on the Instagram. Well, no, Jason, we, let's talk about this record, the, the layout and the art real quick yeah oh, your sure. brother brian sure. your brother did the art correct he did the uh, his friend kelly did the poster in the middle but yeah my brother did uh, those are all all the um the little head that's on there he he made like he silk screened like 50 or 60 different versions of that you know they're all he has them somewhere but they're all different versions and then um we have photographer william howard shoot them um on a on a stage um and, and did it so yeah my brother did it and he wrote um he did the stuff on the sleeve um and then wrote um some stuff because he's he's kind of an artist in the true sense he, he writes and he does uh paintings and sculptures and, and music and um but yeah he was uh, it was really important to him too i remember um again being a band um and that him, him really wanting to like execute and do stuff you know um so yeah that was that was his trip it's funny because now that that image and that cover is so, you know, something that you would see now in 2022. But when it came out, I remember people kind of being surprised that there's no band name on there. It's on Rev. It doesn't have a big, it doesn't have a Berthold <laughs> font in your face. It's funny yeah. you should say that yeah. because when we, when we had decided, you know, on that art, you know, again, we, we kind of left it up to Jim, you know, and, and we didn't like sit down and go over any ideas or any of that stuff. Again, it's very much similar to when we went in the studio, but in this case, you know, Jim was like, Hey, I really like to do the art. And I had seen some of his stuff. It was kind of reminding me, it was like a mixture of like, you know, one of Kirkwood's from Meat Puppets and, and, and like Southwestern folk art, you know, being from Arizona and whatnot. <clears throat> um, but we, we hadn't really seen anything he just it was just kind of okay i did this you know and, and we were like okay um 
And he's like, I don't want the name on the cover. It'll ruin the art. You know, this is actually a piece of art. It's, it's, it's more than just like an album. So we were like, okay. And I remember it was like going to Revelation and they were like, okay, where can we put the name? And we're like, there is no name. <laughs> and they're like, well, that's crazy. That's just crazy. And knowing that it doesn't look like anything at all on the, on the label. And it wasn't, you know, even to our contemporaries, you know, they were using photos and doing this and doing that. And, and our thing was so, we were kind of like, a lot of our stuff was like, leave it up to the person to figure, you know? And in some cases we were you know that recording is a lot of us figuring out but yeah we were like and there's there was like this great idea like what if we put a sticker but then it was like the sticker's gotta be on the, uh, gotta be on the cellophane can't be on the album you know and it was like this like crazy trying to figure it out i know it's it sounds like it's normal now but yeah at the time we were it was just it was a, it was a definite yeah it was i remember being a little contentious with jordan understandably because yeah. it's like well i want to put this out there and i want people to know what it is i'm just what am i just going to throw this thing out there and hope that people know what it like you know you're at a party and you just stand in front of a guy and say like hey how's it going my name's you know rick what's your name and you just like nod at him or something you know and it's like <laughs> were you just going to figure it out through osmosis like you're going to tell me your name or not that's weird you know so i i get it i see both sides but my brother had told me that uh the name of that painting is Andy Griffith's head again yeah, like something head. that no one, no one ever know he's like yeah I call it Andy Griffith's head and I was like you know I never really asked him is it Andy Griffith's head or did he just name it that you know uh, arbitrarily what's the beef and, with Andy Griffith or is that an homage uh, to you? what's the deal yeah, with Andy and weirdly, weirdly enough all those the poster on the inside of all the things like I liked some of the other colors it was the one that was like green or like a teal like it was really cool um I liked those better than, than the, the one that was picked for the, for the cover, but um, we gave a couple away to some friends, but um, yeah, again, looking back on it, it's like, it, I, I have fond memories of it. I like it when I see it, unlike certain other records that I've made in my life or be affiliated with when I look at it and I'm like, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? You know, I look at that one and I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. That's right. You, you know, it's interesting. It's, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the promo photo that we did for Revelation we all covered our faces up. So it's four, I think it's, I think there's four squares or it might be a, a full shot. And, you know, we, yeah, I think it's four squares. I'm wearing a, a kid's like Halloween mask. that's too small. I was just sitting around or something. Barry put his guitar up in front of his face. I forget what Brian might've put a trumpet in front of his face or something, but Jim has a piece of paper that is written. And on the piece of paper, it says, why a promo photo? Because at the time too, he was like, it kind of goes with the art. It's like, why do we need to take a promo photo? What what is what is what do what, what we look like have to do with the music? I'm trying to find it on the. <laughs> I can find it. Yeah, I gotta see that. I'd like to see that. Yeah, sure. But yeah, I have a copy of it somewhere. But you know, there was this conversation, and I think we all kind of that was our sort of compromise with with it. Like, okay, well, we'll take a photo, but we're not going to use our faces. You know, there it doesn't have anything to do with what we're trying to. And do. again, I. And again, as I say, as someone who's like matured a little bit, it's like, why a promo photo? And it's like, so the kid in Florida can see what you look like because he wants to see what the band looks like. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. I get it. I, under, I understand why. You know, I see both sides. Great. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. But the cover does look like, I mean, the band's called Bluebird and you look at that cover and it doesn't look like Andy Griffith's head to me. It doesn't look like. It looks more like a bat, but I mean, you can still get bluebird. <laughs> yeah, like an archaic sort of cave drawing of a bird. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But then again, that's, that's the thing. It's like, well, what is this? And you start to think instead of like, 
oh, here's a photo of a house in a field in the Midwest. And here's our name written in cursive because, you know, we're emotional or whatever. You know, we, it was like, no, let's, let's have people think about it. Or even if they don't like it and they dismiss it, it's, it's, an, it's an emotion. You know, yeah. instead of, well, that's a cover. You know, that's, that was never our, our thing was like, well, I'd rather people love it or hate it than just be indifferent about the music or the band, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, so, so this comes out 97. Now I'm looking at your Instagram. I see you guys were still playing into the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we ended in uh, the fall of 2003. Yeah. Fall oh, wow. And how come no more stuff on Revelation where you just, well, it's funny we talked about this too. You know, Jordan. I think collectively we we wanted to do another record on on Rev. It's funny because there were other labels that came out and were interested. You know, and uh, really can you say who at this point? It's- yeah, I mean, we put out the single um, Jade Tree. Tim hit me up and he was really into the seven inch, and he was like, he kind of he wanted to he wanted to do a record with the band, and I was like, well, this this red thing's coming out or it just came out and I kind of want to see how it goes with them out of loyalty. And, and they were so supportive and taking a chance with us. And, you know, and um, I don't remember what other, there was a couple other labels. I know Rob Schnoff's label, Bongo wanted to do something. Okay. Yeah. record. And, um, but we had all intents and purposes to make another record with Jordan. And then we had met with him and he gave us a budget. And um, yeah, I think we had already, actually been recording the record we recorded it on sound city with greg fiddleman and billy joe bowers they went on to do all kinds of crazy stuff metallica work with metallica okay but anyways and i at the time i remember we were getting we were that was covering the mixing amount that he gave us and then you know right as we were beginning to mix he was like oh i can't give you this much i can give you this much and this isn't a slag on jordan it's more like we were pretty reactionary so like oh well you can't do this though we're done we're not gonna you know it was like Instead of being like, okay, hey, let's try to figure this out and see what we can do. You know, we were young people, you know. Um, so we decided not to do it with Revelation and, 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 you know, look into other avenues and stuff. So that was kind of, that was kind of it. And then what made you guys stop? Like, We had put out quite a few records and I think we had matured quite a bit in our songwriting and we had done a lot we had done so much on our own and we had, it's funny man it's there's a it's a long tail you know there's some major label interest and and all kinds of stuff but we had we had done so much on our own you know in europe and japan and and what our last like year or so we put out two records in one year we put out like this ambient improvised record Called black presence oh, which by the way is, is actually going to be uh you know we're going to self re-release that not to do any self-promotion but it'll just be on Bandcamp. it'll be a you know vinyl it never got pressed um that was like 20 years ago but i'll sorry to interrupt sam I no no we, we, we created this self-promote away i said this ambient right. record in our in our rehearsal space and uh, brian uh engineered and record recorded that and and um and did it on tape and then we had also put out a, a sort of a studio record that we had recorded in different pieces and wayne kramer played on one of the songs and all kinds of stuff but oh wow we just, we just gotten to this point we we had worked really hard and we had spent a couple of years touring and on those two records and I, the idea was to take a break if i remember correctly let's take a break and and that break just kind of i think everybody just kind of shifted gears really you know and and in, in our personal lives and our in our music lives and 
And so it, 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 we just started moving farther and farther away than, from the nucleus of, of being a band still. And you know, then we're like, okay, well, let's just, we never were like, we're breaking up. That never happened. It was just sort of like that hiatus is, we're still on hiatus basically. We haven't broken up. <laughs> I was actually just going to say, yeah, have we, you ever discussed the, the R word? The know, reunion, reunion thing? Yeah. Not really. Um, I, I certainly love to see, you know, a, a reunion band if they're good, I'm not opposed to any of that kind of stuff. But yeah, we never really talked about it, you know. Um, it would definitely be fun to do. It would definitely be like a one-off, you know, or two shows or something like that. But, um, you know, we switched. Barry was our first guitar player, and then uh, Shelby from Photos was with us, and then we ended up with Paul Figueroa, who was great. Um, Barry and Paul were in it at the same time. You know, my brother and I talked about that one time. Like, would it be all three guitar players? Would it just be two guitar players? You definitely have to definitely bring open. You'd have to bring Shelby up for sure. Yeah. For a, for a <laughs> um, open to it. But just to elaborate that a little bit, you know, it seemed like every being in LA every couple of years, we would get courted by some major labels and there would be one or two people at the label that really liked us. And then when they would bring us in, the label wouldn't really be sure what to do with us. And in their defense, we weren't, didn't really have like a lot of great quote unquote songs, you know, that were, uh, we just weren't that band at that point. Maybe towards the end, I think our last record, we finally kind of achieved that. Yeah, we weren't um, cranking out radio hits, you know. We weren't, we were just kind of doing our thing. So I understand why, but it, it kind of uh, snowballed and there was some demo deals and being flown to New York and, you know, all the labels being there. And then it was just kind of crickets after that, like not, Oh, we had Roy you Thomas know. Baker, who did Queen. Queen, and yeah. And uh, Guns Rose. He wanted us to come out to his studio. Remember this, Brian? And he was going to record us. That was at the of very course, end. Was, which uh, we were like, a, that's amazing, but I'm really tired. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a lot. And we worked, we did some d demos. We worked with Chris Goss a little bit. We did, it was just, it was a lot. And it always kind of seemed like, okay, this is the year that something's going to break for us financially. Because you have to keep in mind, everyone had day jobs. So you keep going and you're going and, uh, you know, within that time, lots of our friends had been signed and dropped and then re-signed again and then dropped again, you know, and it wasn't like um, we have to be signed to a major, but it was, there was a, a little bit of, you know, knowing that your, your rent's going to be paid or your tour support, you know, just hustling. It was a lot, it was a lot of work, a lot of time. And those last tours were still great, Japan and Europe and, uh, yeah, up until the end, it was still great. I think like the last U.S. tour was a little bit, you know, it was one of it was, it was a hard one. But yeah, I remember stopping and then uh, just kind of taking a break and everyone kind of, kind of doing their own thing and just moving. And then the one record that we did just as a studio record was the Style Master soundtrack um, for the Surf film oh, that yeah. uh, we got hit up to do through Sam. But that was just a studio record. There was never any live performance behind that. That came out, I think, in two thousand six. 2005 but it was probably recorded in 2004 so we were kind of still doing stuff collectively as a band even though we finished touring but that was just kind of one of those like aftermath kind of things that just happened and uh yeah people just they go in their own directions and do their own things and uh it just kind of you know ran its course yeah absolutely yeah i get it you know you guys were together probably almost 10 years you know Eight it's years. a long time yeah yeah it's a yeah. long time especially when you're younger it's a big big chunk a big percentage so something's oh, been too, you know bluebird is so we are all like very different people you know and and uh all collectively into some really cool stuff and individually into our own stuff too you know i mean the major labels thing was interesting too because we were kind of like into the idea but kind of not into the idea like 
like, do we stay with on the indie path, but we, you know, we have been at this and it, it financially it, it takes a strain, you know, but. So one of the things we end with usually is we talk about. Um, where you pick your favorite song on the record can be for any reason, your favorite one to play. You have a great memory of writing it, recording it, whatever. Um, and then we just all name them and <laughs> who wants to go first? I want Jason to go first. Yo, I'll go first. Hereditary transmissions. I just all like right. the, I like how unhinged the vocals sound on it. It's just cool. It's got some shakiness to it. And it's got that, uh, it's got this cool, when you say in my hands, yeah. Like on the beginning of there, I just really like the way that your voice cuts. It just sounds really good. Um, I'm, I'm just into that style. And then the end, the uh, God help me help myself. Ghee, ghee influence is kind of cool Fugazi uh, lyrics there. But yeah, that's, I've, when I listened to the record though, I would actually listen to it start to finish. I would never play it song by song. I would usually play it all the way until the end every time that I played it. But that part where you say um, in my hands, I was like that part the most. So that's my hot track. Hell yeah. Who's next? I'll go next. I'll go next, I guess. Why not, right? Uh, mine is one that Sam already mentioned, New York Minute. Um, finding out about the Stevie Wonder connection makes it even cooler. But it's just, I like melody. It's got a lot of melody. I was saying a lot of the stuff on this reminds me of like, I hear Fugazi. I hear Drive Like Jehu. Now I've said, I hear blank before to people. And, you know, I had, <laughs> I had Keith from, <laughs> Keith from uh, Kissing Goodbye tell me, no, you didn't. It was, it was great. <laughs> Keith, Keith rules. But I, I told him, I thought I heard a little bit of like sub pop, you know, Tad in there and he told me i didn't so i'm always, always <laughs> a little i have a little ptsd about telling people what i what you should I, find it, I find it fascinating to hear where people reference anything same know, i never feel like but, uh, wrong yeah right so that's me. kind of like i hear that that stuff jehu fugazi mm -hmm. i heard a little bit of drive drive especially like the first drive like jehu record in there mostly because what I heard a lot in this record was not necessarily riffs, but like cool noises made with yeah. guitars. A lot of it was bass driven. Yep. Um, and then the guitars were just playing maybe like a single note and it was like a little bit dissonant, a little bit spacey. You know, you had that the psychedelic elements in there. And I hear that a lot in that first Jehu record as well, where it's like they're not playing complex riffs and you can't really even pick out riffs. I hear that a lot in glass jaw too, where it's like, oh, this dude's just playing a wah pedal with some fucking octave for three minutes. And it sounds cool as fuck, but it's not, you know, you, you couldn't write it. It's a not tab smoke on it. the water. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but what yeah. is Yeah. Um, no, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely super duper bass driven. I always thought Jim was the lead bass player, you know, like mm -hmm. again, that's a lot of how sort of the songs came together where a lot of just him riffing like his he's the riffer it's the, it's more like a bass riff than anything mm -hmm. but yeah i can definitely yeah. see that i guess so i, I want to you go next sam it's interesting because i man i i wanted i typically remember really enjoying playing wrecking ball um 
you know, that that was a pretty fairly aggressive um, song and kind of in my mind, maybe it was like more of like a Jesus lizard kind of thing, you know, like, uh, you know, but then, man, I mean, that would be my hot track. But listening to it this morning, I was like, oh, man, this isn't this. I was I was worried that I was going to hate this thing and it was better than I thought. And I think I really liked um, a lot of the ambient stuff at the end of the laws. That's a really I like where that goes. And it's, it's like, it sounds like 10 minutes long. But for hot track, let's go with Wrecking Ball. OK, because because I was going to say this is legally binding. You can't you can never no. change your mind. I have this to, is the hot track for now I'm, and for I'm going to write it in blood. I'm writing it in blood. Wrecking Ball. Javier. Yo, I. What's yours? For some reason, I always thought that this was more of a full length than an EP. Yeah, I, th- I, I thought that this would be like a 10 song record for some reason. And, and or like maybe in my memory, it was longer. And so I was playing it to, to prep for the show and Spark and Smolder started playing. And I was like, oh, this song, it's a little bit different than the other songs like it's got a little more of a structure and it's like more of like, um, you know, it seemed like this was a, a little bit more of a whole song and less of like a jam. And then all of a sudden the song was done and the record was done. And I was like, that's it. Like, I, I there's no, there's no more. I was a little bit shocked and like, I wanted more. And so that, that song actually stuck out uh, the most to me upon like a really, you know, paying attention to this record and not just hearing it, like really listen to it. That song struck me the most. Awesome. And then finally, Brian, what do you got? I'm going oh, to, I, I love everything you guys just said. And again, it's very, uh, you know, the gratitude is like overwhelming where it's really cool that somebody can like take the time and listen and feel emotion from something that was just really just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, so really, again, that's awesome. But if I had to, when I listened to it again today at lunchtime, I was listening to Hereditary Transmission. I was like, that's a fucking jam when it kicks in. And I remember it. I'm like, yeah, man, I remember playing that and just putting my head down and just fucking laying into that, into that groove. And I always liked it. And I was like, I could play that song today and not be bummed on it. Cause lots of times, you know, in any, in any genre, you're like, that would not represent me, but it's like, I listen to it and I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, that's kind of a, I just remember that was a good song for us to open with because we didn't, you don't have to just come out, you know, like guns are blazing. You could just ease into it. But I love all the ambient bass shit at the beginning. I love Sam's vocals. I like the lyrics. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. And it, it there's something about that being born and raised in the Sonoran Desert. It, it sounds like the desert to me, the beginning of it. It sounds like post uh, monsoon out when you're kind of looking at the lightning off at the distance. It's like a, it's a good vibe. Uh, so I, I'd have to go with, with hereditary transmissions, which I also like the, the lyrics, which Sam references, um, some things that are passed down in the bloodlines, um, which he can elaborate on in another episode if you want, but I, I like, all, I like everything about that track. Awesome. So, you know, uh, want to thank you guys, obviously for taking time to talk to us because you don't have any more, you know, there's, like we said, this is the only bluebird record on rev um 
real quick, Phyllison, what are you doing now, Brian? Are you doing anything musically or you, you know, if you want to plug in, uh, you know, I've been, I've been, no, I've, you know, I've been doing composing stuff. I really, the black presence, that record that Sam talked about, the atmospheric record that dopamine East coast label put out, um, the style masters, it really, I'd been doing kind of my own stuff that was called dark Brown before that just like a, you know, dark music. My last name's Brown, but, uh, I just, I jumped into the composing world. So I've been doing stuff for TV and film for a while, but I do have a, one of my own records, Dark Brown record, that's probably coming out in a few months. That's an atmospheric record. It sounds, there's elements of Bluebird in there for sure. My brother plays on it. It features a lot of friends that are guest drummers, uh, John Stanier, Battles, Helmet, Theodore, uh, you know, Queens, Mars, Brad from Rage, Dick Dale plays guitar on it, plays drums on it. Um, a lot of, I'm, I'm missing a lot of people, but a lot of, uh, a lot of close friends and it's a cool, really cool record. So it's been kind of in the can for a while and I just been sitting on it, but that's kind of what I'm up to. Awesome. And what, what film and, and TV have you done composing? For? Man, you know, it's a lot, you know, a lot of documentary stuff, a lot of reality TV show stuff. Um, I did Grohl's uh, HBO series, Sonic Highways. Um, I oh, scored wow. that. I did I did it, scored his van documentary, um, the L7 documentary. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff. I'm sure if you go, you can go on IMDb and, and pull me oh, up. I'm going to, like, believe me. And a lot note. of, you know, a lot of, a lot of Fox Sports um music red stuff for red bull you know just um you know making a living staying at home making music and some stuff you really love and other stuff that you're kind of paying the bills but i'm fortunate enough to um done it and every i pull from bluebird every day of like things that i experienced and that i learned from um from being in the studio and weirdly enough a lot of gigs have come you know through connections that I had from those days where somebody is like, Oh, I'm, I'm at this place doing music, you know, like, uh, it's weird. I just met a, a guy through a friend, friend of a friend at, at someone's house. And he was like, Oh yeah. Like we just, we connected on like a very old school level, like through Bluebird. It was cool. So yeah, that's what I'm up to. Um, side note to, uh, Dave Grohl's van movie. Um, so the red van that's in Sonic highways and it's in that van movie so that was original. That is originally the Foo Fighters band. They did one West Coast tour in that band, and then they sold it to us, Bluebirds, because our band broke up on the Foo Fighters tour we did with them. And when we came home, like barely came home in that band, we I was, oh god, it was, it was we were like, what's up with Dave's band? Because we had we I remember had, asking him. He's like, it's in Williams. It's in Williams' parents' driveway. Maybe he said it was in Nate's driveway or something like that. And he's like, "Why you want to buy it?" We were like, "Yeah, like, yes, you want to buy it?" Like, we were just like, "Whatever happened to that thing?" You know, collectively. And then we called him, and he was like, "Sure." And we bought that van, and then we wrote, we drove that thing into the ground. And then when he was putting together Sonic Highways, or maybe it was after, it was before. He was like, "Hey, can we buy that van back from you guys um, for nostalgic purposes?" You know, I think to feature it in the movies and and probably put it in a museum or something at some point. So all the wear and tear on that van is because of us. I think awesome. it was brand new. <laughs> we got it. I mean, it was like brand new. We felt so spoiled. It was brand new. It's the nicest car I'd ever drove. It was great. It had power windows, the heat work, the AC work. We could just like cruise 100 miles an hour with the AC blasting. Yeah, it was killer. We pulled pull the trailer. I was like, we're like, we're you know, we're rock stars, man. We got a brand new like, you know, Dodge 15 passenger. Funny. Um, but I. I guess what I'm up to is I, I manage, um, 
I manage bands, uh, artists, uh, including Seven Seconds, Scowl, Death Bells, and a of others. Um, and then creatively, I started a group with my friend, John Coyle, who I was in um, Yuckmouth with over the last year or two, um, kind of lockdown-ish stuff, like during lockdown or whatever. Um, and John was also the singer of Outspoken. Um, and uh, our drummer is Andrew Black. He played in Battery and Explosion and, oh man, a bunch of other- Cloak great- Dagger for a European tour. Cloak he Dagger. Did, it's true. Yes, he, he's, 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 yeah, he's a ripper. And uh, Michael Spider Cotterman, uh, formerly- Little a- Philly hardcore connection there. Oh, kid, kid Dynamite. Yeah, some Kid Dynamite. And, yeah. You know, it's a- Loved ones. Melodic. Uh, it's funny what we're talking about drive like jehu and not playing chords we don't really play any bar chords in this band it's mostly open chords and notes and stuff but yeah super uh, just done some demos playing some shows and yeah any plans for uh like physical release of the stuff i know it's on spot i mean i know there was a cassette right yeah there's two demos that we put on one cassette and we put it up on streaming and um you know we've just really kind of really been enjoying like writing music and like focusing on rewriting music we have a bunch of new stuff that's unrecorded um and i think yeah we want to eventually put out a record um sooner than later and then i'll say it now if if you uh once that once we do go in to make a record that stuff that's up on line on bandcamp and stuff we're going to take it down and it'll never be we'll never see the light of day again so um but yeah so but so better go on bandcamp and Drop that's, that's, the, that's, me, that's me plugging the band camp. Yeah, drop, drop a couple bucks and keep the downloads because exactly. Yeah. Well, hopefully you come out to the East Coast sometime. Yeah, we we we've been talking about it um with some other bands and friends and, and and stuff like that. I think that's probably next year. I think we'll play a lot more shows next year. Awesome, yeah. awesome. It's called well, Laughing but, Matter. I don't know if I said that. Laugh. No, you didn't. Okay. I don't know if you did, but I mean, I, I, I knew, and these guys knew, but yeah, laughing matter. Uh, and you got the band camp and it's easy to find. And then laughing matter LA, I think is the Instagram. Oh yeah. Right? La- laughing matter Los Angeles. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I don't and, and you'll, you'll, uh, you'll be able to get the link, the link in bio and get buy yeah. that stuff on Bandcamp. So there you go. All right. Great. Well, it was nice to talk to Brian and uh, to Rev61. Yeah, 61. thank you so much again, guys. I really <laughs> appreciate it. It was nice to Very meet you, Rev61. <laughs> Likewise. I, and again, <laughs> Brian touched on the gratitude. I, I feel the same way. I'm very grateful for you guys being interested and having us on. And anyone that ever listened to Bluebird or ever supported Bluebird or does in the future, just real, that's really cool. Very thankful. Yeah, thank you. And I'm sure I speak for my brother and Barry and Paul and Shelby and everybody else who's affiliated. Thanks to anybody that, that supported and keep, um, you know, keep an open mind and uh, fucking have some gratitude. Awesome. Well, awesome. as of thank the you. as of the this interview, Rev has vinyl copies. I don't know if they still will by the time it airs. So hopefully they'll all disappear because people are gonna hear this and they're gonna want to check it out. Yeah, try to find that white, that white vinyl. Yeah. So, I, all right, guys. I have well, a copy. I, I have the white vinyl. Thank you, man. Thanks so much for you guys, uh, for your time. I really yeah, appreciate it. So thank much. you. Thank, thank you. you Take care. Take Thanks, care. Guys. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
What's up, y'all? It's Javier. Listen, uh, if, if you're, well, if you're listening to this, there's a good chance that you're not a, a top-tier patron or a patron at all. I don't know, but I don't know how you how you consume these uh, episodes. But listen, if you are a patron, then you can go over to Patreon.com right now and listen to like, I don't know, 45 minutes or something of like me, Greg, and Jason talking about this Bluebird record. I don't know. It's fun. It's cool. It's like just some dudes sitting around talking about music. But anyway, um, if you need that info, go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com. Learn how to become a Patreon supporter. And I wanted to shout out our top tier patrons while I'm here. Also, Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Buskey, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focus, JPD2, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tad Payton, Tanner Spaulding, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. That's it. Um, we'll see you next episode. We got something special planned. So, yeah, bit of bow.